Hello, and welcome to another edition of Thoughts from Player One, the podcast where we take an in-depth look at one story or narrative-focused game and give our thoughts about it. As always, I'm Alex. I'm Duncan. And joining us for the first time this week, a very special guest. I've always said this podcast had too intellectual of an air, so we needed to kind of bring it down and kind of connect with the everyman a little bit. So I have invited my brother Nick to join us for this episode. Nick, how's it going? Wow, attacked already. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. I figured that's sort of the the tone and energy I wanted to open the podcast (laughs) with was extremely confrontational. Um, So we are here today to discuss FromSoft's 2015 Bloodborne, uh, which you can pick up, sadly, only on the PS4 uh, for about $20 right now. Came out March 24th of 2015, and I think... Though I'm pretty sure we've done this about four times already in various episodes very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it would be a good idea for, for us to kind of just go around and talk a little bit about our history with um, with Bloodborne, with the Soulsborne franchise. And then we'll talk a little bit about the you know general feelings we had, general thoughts about the game. And then we'll talk a little more in-depth story spoilers, uh, mechanical spoilers, everything like that a little bit later on. So if you haven't played, feel free to stick around at this point. We'll let you know when you can jump off. Uh, and also, Nick and my answers will be virtually identical, but it'll still be fun. <laughs> so, Duncan, why don't you open by explaining to us a little of your, your history with this game and franchise? Ah, play the 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 beautiful um, orchestral, like, when you're seeing a beautiful plate of food coming to the table. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely not. Yes, yes. <laughs> when a plate of food is <laughs> Where, yes. How much money do you think I fucking have, Duncan? It's they don't do that shit at Culver's. <laughs> it's 2015, and and I have just purchased Bloodborne, my first FromSoft experience. The disc goes into the console, and I play this game. And it's so beautiful and wonderful, and it's gothic and and gorgeous, and I die many a many a times, <laughs> and I didn't get it, so I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> and that's about it. <laughs> and then and then I tried Dark Souls three because I got it for free, and it's kind of the same thing that happened. And then I. And then you guys asked me if I'd like to play it, you know, for the podcast. And I said that, you know what? I can really push myself. I can do this. I can beat one of these games wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. And that is my history with it. That's so, and not what a, a great energy to play Bloodborne with uh, while on a timer knowing that you have to be able to talk about it at length. That's, yes. that's the right headspace to to go into this sort of a game with. Realistically, um, though, it just it to be to be more honest and, and realistic. I just I played it. I got to a certain point, and I think it was after beating um, Vicar Amelia, and I just kind of fell off of it. Like yeah. it just I died too many times. I didn't know where I was going, and as just I didn't see the the reason to keep going. Like I felt like I got it. Like. Everything I was gonna get out of the game, I got out of it at that point. Gotcha. So, and you, okay. you, you dipped out of Dark Souls three pretty early on, I think. I, you were yeah. that to me pretty frequently when you were playing it. I think I got to the swampy forest with the dudes with the pitchforks, and there was a knight that was way too hard to kill. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just stopped playing. 
right. That seems about right. Uh, Nick, what about you? Your history with Bloodborne and the the FromSoft franchise in general. So, like Duncan, I picked up Bloodborne around when it came out, um, and that was my second experience with FromSoft. My first experience was playing Dark Souls 1, uh, I think a year or so earlier, where I loaded it up, and I had no real expectation besides knowing that it was going to be hard. And I got to the first tutorial boss that you're supposed to just run past to get items, but I didn't know that. So I think I died to that tutorial boss about 30 or so times, and then it was like, okay, I can uninstall this game now. I don't like it. (laughs) Then a couple years later, Bloodborne came out, and I started playing it, and I dug the vibe, and I banged my head against the wall enough to get a sense of the combat and feel like I could make progress, and then I ended up beating it. And then after that, that's when you and I started our uh, Soulsborne journey. Gotcha. And that, so that I have talked Bloodborne? about uh, ad nauseum, but for people who maybe missed those prior episodes, that was Dark Souls 1, Dark Souls 3, and um, Sekiro, and all of those games played in what... I don't really have a word for it. Uh, we created co-op for those games without using yeah. any of the co-op features that exist in those games by playing them at the exact same time, um, usually on or exclusively on voice chat, and then, you know just talking about what was going on, but there was no actual interaction between our games at any point. We basically invented a commiserating mode. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah, that's a very good way to look at it. Um, my my history with Bloodborne is a little more straightforward than that. I picked it up um, uh, a while ago. I want to say 2017, something like that. Played maybe the first about half of the game or so um solo and just kind of like you know saturday mornings i'd play it for a little while and you know would would chat about it with nick um but we weren't actually playing it at the same time or anything like that uh, and then i the playstation 4 i was playing it on belonged to my roommate at the time and my roommate moved out and took his playstation 4 with him so that was kind of the end of me playing bloodborne for a while um, but then you know, hopped back into it uh, over this this most recent winter, I think around Thanksgiving time, and it just kind of, you know, we burned through it incredibly quickly because uh, yep. we were just enjoying the game, and it's a, a good, like you said, good commiserating experience. And yeah, same thing around, like you'd said, 2015, 2016, somewhere around there is when we started playing through all of the, um, all of the FromSoft titles with the exception of Demon Souls and Dark Souls 2. Um, and then, I mean, obviously all... All of their previous ones, like Armored Core and everything like that, but that doesn't really factor in here. Um, so, how did we, you know, knowing that, knowing kind of the history with that, how do we, how do we all feel about Bloodborne? How do we like Bloodborne compared to other games in the franchise as a standalone game? Um, well, you know, we'll save all the spoiler stuff for a little after this, but just generally speaking, how do we feel about it, Duncan? Um, hmm. See, I've spent a lot of time going back and forth on this as expected um because Mm -hmm. this i'm I'm really trying to reframe it in my head as an experience that i could have experienced over a longer period of time or you know kind of picked it up when i wanted to and not felt like you know i had to beat it but Mm -hmm. i don't think if i had this time constraint i would not finish it so i'm thinking about how I felt when it was more in a vacuum situation where I just, you know, picked it up, I tried it out, it necessarily wasn't for me and I put it down, versus how I had to play it at this moment. 
And I think overall, I ended up saying that this game was good and it was an enjoyable experience at some parts and at other parts, it had me in legitimate fits of anger. Um, I am not a person that handles anger very well to be no. 100% honest. <laughs> no. Yeah, 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 Alex. All right. Listen. I'm not You know what? No, stop. Stop. I've beaten you at enough you know? games of Smash to have a very good grasp on exactly how well you handle handle frustration. All right. <laughs> so, with that knowledge and knowing that these games are tough as nails, um, you know, action RPGs, I landed in a place where I said Man, could you just work with me a little bit? <laughs> could you just work with me a little bit, game? And when I felt like the game was working with me, I loved it. I love the atmosphere. I love the visuals. I love the boss design and the mechanics are cool. Like the attacks have good weight to them. And like there's a certain, it's just fun. The, mm-hmm. the setting is entirely up my alley it's just there were so many moments where i'm like please fucking please work with me for a minute that just it just ruined it for me in a way that i couldn't be into certain parts of the game so i have big gaps where i'm like this part sucked because the mechanics ruined it for me um Mm -hmm. but in general with the soulsborne games i don't think i want to play many more of them but (laughs) it's that alluring temptation it's like yeah, but remember how high you felt beating that boss? Don't you want <laughs> yeah. that again? That high? And, I'm, and then most of the time I say no, but sometimes I'm tempted to jump back into there by that Hunter DLC. So overall, I'd say I'm pretty neutrally positive on it. Okay. I, I am curious, when do you have an example, and you might not have one prepared, of, of what you mean like when the game is not working with you versus when it is working with you? Don't put t- a two-minute fucking run to a boss. I hate that. I hate that so much. It does not help you reflect. It doesn't do anything. It's a fucking waste of your time. We'll get to okay. those things. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have some, some thoughts about that. I think this is going to be a slightly more mechanically focused episode than a lot of our previous episodes have been, just by kind of the nature of the thing. So I think uh, I'll be interested to kind of dive into that a little bit more. Um Nick, how do you walk away from Bloodborne feeling? For the people at home, I know exactly how you <laughs> yeah, feeling because I played You were there step by step with me. Uh, so I really, really liked Bloodborne. Um, I loved the environments and the atmosphere, like Duncan said. And something that I think the Soulsborne games do really well, and Bloodborne definitely as well, is the sense of exploration. Because Anything can kill you at any point in time. There is a sort of uh, risk to exploration. Do I want to go down this one path that, you know, maybe there's nothing there. Maybe there are some consumables that I don't really need. Maybe there's a cool rune that expands the story. Maybe there's a ball of snakes that's going to kill me and I'm going to turn the game off. I think that's something that really shines in Bloodborne and the Souls games in general. Yeah, I I think that's that's definitely definitely fair. Um, would you comparatively to to other FromSoft games, where do you where would you rank Bloodborne? Do you think? I think Bloodborne is towards the top for me, and a big chunk of that is I just I love this Victorian Lovecraftian aesthetic. It just 
hits all the right notes for me. Okay, I think that's fair. Um, Is I think the I... aggressive nature of the combat like also appealable to you? Because what I felt playing Dark Souls Three versus Bloodborne was I'm like I am much more of just like a in your face fighter than Dark Souls. Yeah, that's something that also appeals to you. I think it is, yeah. I like the push and pull of if you take damage, if you quickly hit the enemy, you can recover some of your lost life. I think that's more interesting than I have a big shield, I hide behind it. When they get tired, I swing at them. But I did like hiding behind a big shield. That felt very safe and comforting to me in a game <laughs> that had no sort of safe and comfortable area, so I missed that a little bit. Um <laughs> No, I, I think uh, I think I would echo probably a lot of that. I really enjoyed my time with Bloodborne. I think um, having a little bit of distance away from it has kind of um, helped with the recency bias, which made me feel like this is you know maybe the best FromSoft game I've ever played. Um, I don't think it is because I do think that's Sekiro, but I, I have you know I, I really enjoyed this game. I think Duncan, what you were alluding to there, the um, aggressive nature of the combat made it feel different enough, right? The the fact that, you know, countering is not just like a a mechanic that you can interact with, the fact that it's more of a like core gameplay mechanic and will really turn some of the bosses from like extremely difficult encounters into encounters that are just like you can easily one shot them, um made the game much more engaging to me. Um I, I did a lot less circle strafing than I tend to do in these sorts of games. Uh and I did like the aesthetic. I will say it didn't I it didn't click with me as immediately because I think that although it's interesting when I first picked this game up back in like 2016 I don't I don't know if I was just playing something else that had a similar aesthetic or if maybe I'm just I don't like the Victorian England stuff doesn't click with me as much um but it it didn't grab me immediately I think by the by the time I was done with the game this time around I really ended up enjoying it but I think it did you know, the, the intro was not as strong for me as maybe some of the other FromSoft games, but I do still think I would I would rate Bloodborne um, very highly overall, with the caveat that I think there are some mechanical choices they made not relating to parrying that were dog shit, and they shouldn't do again. So, overall, though, definitely walked away from it extremely happy with the game as a whole. Well... That's good. Good for you, Alex. All right. <laughs> good for both of you. Uh, um... <laughs> Uh, I, so I fucking lived. I got like straight lifeblood energy from listening to Duncan message me on Discord. Like, wow, fuck this person. Actually, impossible. <laughs> this game is so dumb. I don't even like this game. I don't want to be playing. And twenty five minutes later, being like, that was a pretty cool boss fight. <laughs> well, okay. The one time I did that was ironic because I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> but but also, I don't know. I, We'll get before we because I want to like talk about a lot of things about bosses, but I kind of want to get the the story stuff out of the way so yeah, we can fair. tackle all sure. of that. Um, do you do you want to just give us a very very rough guide through the story? If you want the true like full real story uh, from someone who like did their actual research and knows what they're talking about, we have a video that we're gonna link in the description, right? Right. Probably. It's if yeah, not, probably. if we forget to link it, it's by Vati Vidya, who mm-hmm. does um, incredibly in-depth lore videos for all of the Soulsborne games. So you can go check those out. 
yeah, full transparency. It's the one that we all, at least I can speak for Alex and I, watched and was like, oh, okay, now I get it. Yeah. <laughs> now I understand what's been happening the whole time in the story. Um, but yeah, I can walk us through, before we get into some of these deeper questions, a little bit um, of the general arc of the story. Again, so much of the story is not told to you directly. So much of it is through item descriptions or little snippets of dialogue. So I'm when I say story overview, I, I mean that in the realest possible terms. Um so the story at the kind of thousand foot view, you are a hunter who um, hunters are kind of this this group of people who were designed to not designed, who were um, trained to hunt beasts that exist throughout the land as a result of some, some blood corruption that's, again, not made clear, so I don't want to get into it right now. You wake up with kind of no memory of who you are because it's a Dark Souls game um, or it's a Soulsborne game and then... You kind of go through this Victorian England-style area that is um, filled to the brim with beasts on this night of a hunt where everybody else is kind of safe inside their homes or safe, in air quotes, inside their homes, saying that you need to do your job and, and kill these beasts and so you know, we can make it through to the next day. Um, you, When you die, as opposed to just respawning at a bonfire or, or some sort of equivalent of that, you go back to what is called the Hunter's Dream, where you meet... Um, Garman, who is the first hunter, who is kind of acting as, seems to be acting as a guide for you and explaining some some aspects of what you need to do. There's also a doll there who comes to life and is your, you know, um, level up NPC, basically, uh, and gives you a, a little bit of advice and seems to kind of be, again, everybody in there seems to kind of be caring caring for you, and then you can get back into, into the action. Um, going through this whole area you you know things start to to ramp up as you go you're starting to fight bigger and bigger enemies again larger and larger and slightly more deformed beasts and as the game continues on it sort of switches a little bit from this um, victorian beast style thing to this more lovecraftian horror kind of in like it, it hits at a really like crucial point but it's kind of a subtle shift over time um as as things just become more grotesque and horrifying and the bosses stop talking so much about hunting beasts and start talking more about um this this search for knowledge that humanity is on and for talking about the great ones and um just like understanding and needing more eyes on the inside of their brains so that they can see the reality of what's going on around them and and interestingly as the the story goes on and you gain more of this insight which allows you to you know it has some mechanical impacts but it allows you to see a little bit more of what's actually going on. You start to see more and more, um, for lack of a better term, completely fucked up things going on around you, um, including like giant spider creatures with cage heads that are hanging off the sides of buildings that you couldn't see previously. Um, and you you kind of follow the path, again, this critical path through these games and engage with more and more of these creatures as you are ostensibly trying to stop whatever is going to happen from happening. Um, you know, it's, it's not made inherently clear what's going to happen. You know, eventually you, you kill, um, a creature named Ron the Vacuous Spider, which was preventing the reality of the world around you from being completely seen, um, wherein you can see that there is a, a like a blood red moon and you can see more and more of this kind of horrible Lovecraftian stuff going on as it becomes clear that the people in this world, um, kind of in traditional fashion, their search for knowledge delved a little bit too deep and they started interacting with, with these great ones a little bit more with this other species or this other plane of being essentially. Uh, and throughout the, uh, throughout the game, you are progressing uh, in, in a way that 
I don't know if you guys felt this. I didn't really know what I was doing as much as I was just like, hey, cool no. that there's stuff going on and this is some fucked up stuff and that's pretty cool. And look, that that person's got six blades for arms. That's really neat. Alex, um, wait, 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 wait. You didn't know what was going on? <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, my God. That must be so embarrassing for you. <laughs> oh, wow. And I'm just, I'm just a big old dummy. Um, the culmination of all of this is... Um, as you are trying to, again, what feels like track down this great one, you eventually make your way back to the Hunter's Nightmare after ascending a tower in this kind of like nightmare frontier realm. Uh, and there you find that the, um, the Hunter's Dream is on fire and the doll directs you towards Gehrman, the first hunter, who then basically offers you um, an option there. You know, he can basically kill you and, and let you it's it's unclear he offers you two choices either to fight him and try to continue doing what you're doing or he can kill you and like send you back to what's essentially like the beginning of the game again ostensibly like having you wake up from this nightmare and at the dawn of the next day or you can fight him to try and take his place as like the first hunter like holding up a lot of this um or the third option which is the yeah, or the or the third option, which is the quote unquote true ending, um, you can fight and kill Gehrman, and then this entity called the Mood Presence, which I think appears either way if you fight and kill Gehrman, which is clearly another great one, um, shows up, and you you know as it tries to um, overtake your body, as it tries to turn you into Gehrman to to stop these other great one again there's a lot of like inner great one activity that i'm pretty sure exists based on the video I watched, but I had absolutely no idea existed during the game. Um, <laughs> Um, but if you ate enough uh, umbilical cords here <laughs> in the game, then yeah, you get the real ending, which is you're able to fight and kill that moon presence, and then you turn into a squid-like creature, which is ostensibly a new great one, and humanity has completed its task of ascending into the next realm of existence, um, wherein the doll holds you up and then promises to take care of you as you're like a little tiny squid thing, and that's the good ending? I guess. Oh, oh. You turned into a great one. You ascended. Yeah, I mean. You're a beautiful baby great one. Yeah, <laughs> little tiny squid thing, which, cool. Uh, so anyway, that's the story of Bloodborne. Um, yep, nailed it, 100%. Pretty cool, yeah, pretty straightforward, it. makes a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> now, on this Twisted Sick podcast, we like to ask, like, a what-if scenario, you know? Mm-hmm, so, like, mm-hmm. would you would you want to be that that? Would you be reborn as a great one right now? Would you take that? <laughs> right you now. That? You mean like right this second, <laughs> yeah. year 2021, January 10th, <laughs> when I choose to ascend and become a squid-like creature and leave this existence behind without a fucking doubt? Really? Now, no, how many umbilical cords are you willing to eat to do that? <laughs> that, see, that's that's the thing. That's they don't the eat thing. them. They crush them in their hand. They fucking eat them, Duncan. <laughs> Duncan. They eat the umbilical cords. And I'm not... I, I was going to make a topical reference about a celebrity that ate an umbilical cord, but I can't remember who it was, so I will not Damn. go into it. Probably Tom Cruise. Was it Tom Cruise? Might have been Tom Cruise. That's who knows? my favorite Bon Appetit video is when they <laughs> hook up the umbilical cord. Mm. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was our sick, twisted segment. Um, so... <laughs> This narrative, I, Alex explained it, it pretty well from the perspective of someone playing through and, like, getting snippets and yes. understanding it, plus just, like, a little bit more knowledge. I would say my knowledge while playing through was, like, maybe half of that. 
um, I got that there were big wolves and I was going to kill the wolves, werewolves, because they're nasty and they might be have been the old citizens. And at some points I was guessing that like this was a thing that they were used to just like doing and hunting, which I was kind of right on. Um, but that this night was like foretold or something like that. Then, you know, once you pass that, it was it. I just kind of got completely lost. So while I was playing, I felt like I wasn't engaged necessarily with the story or understood any of it. Mm -hmm. And like hearing it back, I felt like I got this like this makes sense and it's really cool. But only after uh, did I feel that way. How did either of you feel like walking through this and not completely understanding it or like in, in hearing the story again? And like, do you think that's a good style of storytelling? Like, just talk about that for a while. So Go play. <laughs> hey, just, you know what? I'm done. I asked a question. You guys do the podcast for a little bit. I'm going to fuck off. I'm going to grab a drink. <laughs> Go talk. <laughs> Nick, you wanna yeah, sure. like so, up there. <laughs> so I think it works for the Soulsborne style games because they are so mechanically intensive and so much of the act of playing the game is just trying to be alive in this space that the story isn't quite ancillary, but it's window dressing in a way that wouldn't work if the combat and mechanics weren't so engrossing yeah yeah i guess I, I mean so here's here's what i would say to that i agree in that i do think the story in these games and the narrative like the direct line narrative tends to be less important than in, in a lot of other games and it, it's obviously much less important than the mechanical aspects of the game but i do feel like you know one of my gripes with these games is how much I am drawn into these worlds and how much I like am really interested in what's going on in the spaces and what's going on in between these spaces and what's going on with these characters. And like, I, I, I think this most recent time is, is actually a good example of it. Um, Nick, you can kind of speak to this. I was, you know, you knew what, uh, what was going on yeah. in air quotes. You knew what was going on. <laughs> yeah. You didn't watch a 30 minute explainer video. So you probably only knew part of it, but we were, you know, as we were going through it, I was trying to um, kind of postulate what I thought was going on. Generally speaking, I was trying to pay more attention to the environment than I previously have to see, like, okay, well, like, what is this maybe trying to set up? Because I do think they do a good job of environmental storytelling in these games. And even with trying to engage it with more of a critical eye and trying to keep, um, you know, reading a little bit more of the item descriptions, because these games famously distribute a lot of their lore and story information through item descriptions. Um, even with all of that, I still had a, a really hard time understanding what was going on and like where, where my role was in it. Um, and I always find every single time I, if I watch a video on what's actually going on or I read something in one of these games, uh, I'm always like, that's in incredibly interesting. Like, it's so cool. The story of this world is so cool. These characters have such interesting, like, spaces that they fit into inside of this world. Um, and I, I, that is disappointing is maybe too strong of a word, but I do wish I was able to pick more of that up on first blush without having to play through the game over and over again, because I do think there's a lot really interesting going on in the the history of of this world, of, of like Yarnum and Gainhurst and everything like that in, in Bloodborne. But 
you just didn't get most of that. Like, I didn't, like, there were entire sections of the history of the world that I didn't understand without watching that video. And I do think that kind of is a is a point against it. And I think I even read a, a quote from um, the guy who makes this game, Miyazaki. Miyazaki. Yeah. Okay, I couldn't remember if he was if Miyazaki was that or if uh, that was um, the the guy who does all of the animated movies. Um, mm-hmm. They're the same guy, actually. The, <laughs> the guy who did Poyo and Bloodborne, same man. He doesn't sleep much. <laughs> uh, I do think I remember reading a quote where he was essentially like, "Yeah, I make like I have really cool ideas for stories and worlds, but I don't write dialogue very well. So this is just kind of how I choose to to give this like." experience to the player which i think is you know hey power to you for recognizing where your strengths and weaknesses are and leaning into your strengths but i do think i you know as evidenced by the story in sekiro kind of drawing me in a little bit more because it was more like you you actually could understand what was going on i do wish these these narratives were a little bit more upfront with what's actually happening or or what you're even trying to do to some extent sure but like I think it's all about balance, right? Because mm-hmm. you can't say I feel like that's a that that's a really interesting quote because then my answer to that is well then work with someone who is good at that. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like but but Which, also to it, be fair, he probably does. Games aren't created in a vacuum. The studio sure. puts out a lot of games, but point taken. For sure, for sure. But like the 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 other thing is it's all about balance, right? And I think that that's something this game takes in a different direction that most game balances story and dialogue and world building where i feel like too many games and stories lean too heavily towards telling you way too much Mm -hmm. but this one leans way too you know heavily towards not telling you enough in my opinion but i don't know you got to balance it out in a way because it would suck so bad if you went to go fight uh uh father garscone is that how you pronounce his name garscone Gascon, yeah, sure. Gascon, um, I don't know. And and he was like, "You were one of the good hunters, and <laughs> you took the you took the blood and stuff like that." And it would just that that would suck, you know. And yeah, of course, dialogue could be written better than that. But like, I I don't know. It's a really really tightrope balance, and I respect I respect it, but I also just kind of feel like I didn't know where I was. I didn't know why I was fighting anything that I was fighting. Like, I, I I stopped at certain points and go, why do I even want to kill this fool? Like, <laughs> why? It's just becomes a, like, it's in my way sort of thing. And I find that really, really, like, disingenuous for, like, combat because it kind of turns into a, like, like, when I heard the story about some of these bosses, I was like, man. That frames the fight so much cooler. Like mm-hmm. thinking yeah. about the first hunter and like what he's gone through and everything like that. And it makes my like like hearing the music again, it makes my heart sink in a cool way. But when I was fighting him, I just went, Well, you're just in my way to the end. And I don't love that. <laughs> yeah. I think that is a lot of what um what bothers me, right? So I guess to to kind of go specifically off of that that last thing you said there were there boss fights for either of you that felt impactful from a narrative sense where like you you knew what was going on you were engaged in that particular fight you like felt the weight of what you were doing in those fights i think the final fight against german definitely fits that mold you've got 
this formerly safe place in the hunter's dream. It's where you come to spend your currency, it's where you go to level up, restock, and upgrade your items, and now it's on fire. And this guy who has shepherded you through most of the game, he is your opponent. So it does feel in that one fight like a really strong culmination of the story. That's the only one that comes to mind for me. Yeah, I think... Uh, Amygdala a little bit, who was, a, I think, a totally optional boss fight, The just because it was like, hey, this is one of those horrible spider-creature great ones, so like it felt powerful that I was fighting these creatures that seemed so... Uh, they they both seemed and literally were on a different plane of existence than me, so it it, it had a lot of weight to it. It's kind of the same with the brightest, who was the um, another one of the great ones, who was a, a another optional boss. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't. I think. But like for Amygdalia, it's kind of like the fighting them felt good. Like like I I agree with you on that point. But after you do kill him, nothing really happens to let me know like my actions meant much for Mm -hmm. for that and that's like i don't know that's i really struggle with that yeah Um, i think rom is the the only one where after killing rom like the world changes in a meaningful way um yeah but i didn't know who rom was when i was fighting (laughs) rom i was just like damn this fucked up spider bug that I don't really want to kill because it wasn't doing anything to me, but I guess I'll do it anyway. So I, I, yeah, it, My, that's, that is definitely, I, I feel, I've, I feel you there. I've got, I've got more bosses than that. I think that, that I felt because like, like Mikolash, I didn't know exactly while I did not like the boss fight itself. I felt like I'm like, okay, he's, his title is literally host of the nightmare. So that gives me a little bit of an understanding of like, who mm-hmm. he is in the setting of the story. I'll say Murrow's wet nurse wall, again, not being one of the most stunning bosses, I felt like, okay, there's a woman in a white dress with blood, you know, near her stomach, and this character above her that she's looking up to is called a wet nurse. So I'm like, okay, I can put two and six together here. Um, and <laughs> also, I don't know, probably definitely the witch of hemwick i definitely that one was really <laughs> emotionally gripping yep 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 loved the witch of hemwick i felt so bad about it afterwards and, um, and vicar amelia is is a is like a again that one was was really great while i didn't know exactly like why i was killing them i at least like understood that this was a person you know before this and they had some controllable or uncontrollable uh, function to transform into this you know horrible screeching beast then it felt more mm-hmm. like okay i'm purging the world of these these nightmarish creatures that used to be people so that had a little bit more of an emotional grip to it yeah i think i think those are probably like we have a list of bosses here that i'm looking at and i i don't really think like father gascone i do father gascone has an emotional like component to it only if you do the optional side quest alongside of it yeah um with the NPC, which I don't think you did, Duncan, but for no. um, for the the sake of people who haven't done it, you me- you meet this like young girl at a window who gives you a music box and is like, "Oh, hey, my mom and dad are gone. Can you find them for me? Here's this music box that I like, um, and you can use that music box during the Father Gascon fight, and it stuns him momentarily. 
Um, and then if you check the description of the music box, you can put two and two together and find out that, oh, well, this music box was given to this daughter by her father, and her father is Father Gascon, and I am now killing her dad because he's gone insane and killed her mom. So, like, the there ends up being this huge emotional weight because you're like, okay, well, I'm killing the last family member that this little girl has left, so that's rough, and then her quest goes extremely bad very quickly <laughs> yeah. um, where both her and her sister end up dying um horrible horrible deaths um but hey you know that death like by pig <laughs> death by a pig so that whole but that you know that's another thing where like hey you can get the impact there but that impact is only there if you are you know searching every little corner and finding all of these characters and interacting and reading item descriptions right so a lot of a lot of my um, impact with this game is because when when Nick and I were playing it side by side, um, it, you know, virtually side by side, we live in different states. Um, the the like, you know, he had already played through the game, and I wanted to make sure I experienced everything. So you know, we had a guide open, and you know, he was like, "Okay, make sure you do these quest lines because I've already seen them." You know, not telling me what happens in these quest lines, but just like, "Oh, go talk to this character, go talk to this person," right? Because I didn't want to be to be missing out on things like that quest line that was, you know, again the only one of the NPCs that I felt like a strong emotional reaction to. Uh, and that that shouldn't necessarily be mandatory in order to understand why these bosses are potentially cool is, is maybe where I land on that. I think this is less true with the DLC, to be fair, um, but we're not necessarily talking about the DLC right now because Duncan hasn't played it. Though we'll talk about it a little bit at some point. Uh, I kind of... Can I just get a quick like for my own self interest? Yeah. Can I can I get a favorite boss while we're trying to talk while we're in boss mm. territory? Non DLC, right? Because I think I liked almost every single DLC boss better than most of the main game bosses. You can, yeah. For, for the folks for the folks at home who like the DLC boss or has played the DLC, you can mention those. That's fine. Okay. But I just won't have anything to comment on it. No, I mean so of the main game. Got a list here. God damn. His bosses all sucked. <laughs> Every single one of these was trash. What? Okay. <laughs> uh, I I think uh, I really really like the amygdala fight. Um, I thought that was extremely cool. Um, so that one is probably pretty high on my list. But I think it would either be amygdala or Garmin because I think Garmin's um, actual like I didn't find him overly difficult because I was way over leveled but I, I found his attack patterns to be so cool and I found the environment that you fight him in to be so cool that it just it 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 worked extremely well um, and also at least favorite boss should be Mikalash, but it's it's yes. not it's actually blood starved beast because I died like 30 times to fucking poison and that <laughs> whole fight is dog shit and anybody who enjoys that fight is a sadist or hmm. good at the game, you know, one or the eh, other. You know, hey, tomato, tomato. Uh, I was a big fan of the Abritus fight, and I think for the same reason that you liked the Amygdala fight, Alex, but I think Abritus is, you know, Abritus is a great one, so it has a lot of these celestial powers, you know, it can shoot stars at you and crazy things like that, and it really did a good job of feeling like I am this dude who's got an axe or a saw cleaver or any other of these crazy weapons fighting what is, in essence, a god. And so, I'm gonna die a hundred times, but eventually I can win, and that's just a great feeling. Yeah, I, I like that. I love that after, like, learning that she was sort of the the one that they that like 
the fact that she is a left behind old one after learning that is such a cool fact in that like they got the blood primarily from her mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of neat i like that one quite a lot too i'm gonna say i'm gonna pull an alley-oop and say martyr martyr logarius might be really favorite wow. thing. To, I, I had a hard time with you it, did but like but i kind of just liked like i liked his design i liked some of his attacks were really cool he had really cool animations and i felt like the reward i got from it felt big enough and like cool enough that it made me feel like doing it was was somewhat worth it like you got the crown you had to th- like the, the the basic puzzle for the crown was hard enough to like I could have just turned around, turned in my souls and left, but mm. easy enough that I could easily like think about it and go, okay, I'm wearing the crown. Could I go to the seat? Like, and, and I was able to figure that out. And then, you know, you unlock the, the, you, you see this like castle behind you change and you get to go inside and like become part of this uh, organization. Like just the stacking kind of like stuff you get from it felt rewarding enough. Whereas like, you know some of these other ones that were more in your way to the next area work like not everything can have that big of a reward of course mm-hmm. but like some of them i don't know i just felt like that one was a was a really nice like and it was optional but it was just a nice reward and a fun fight so i like that one quite a lot hmm. i think that's that's really interesting I, I liked the fight quite a bit and i did like the reward but i think it just you know i think maybe I was ready to move on by the time I ended up beating Martyr Ligarius so that it didn't it didn't necessarily feel that way to me. But everything you said about it, I one hundred percent agree with. So maybe if I thought about it a little longer, I would end up end up turning the corner on that. Um cool. was your least favorite boss fight? Let's get least favorite boss fights also real quick. It's it's gotta be the celestial emissary, right? It's just a bunch of gooey dudes and you kill them all and then there's a big gooey dude and you kill him and that's it. Yeah, that rules. What's your problem with it? Uh, I, you're gonna uh, you're gonna seriously sit there and tell me it was boring fighting those gooey dudes and not I couldn't get Mikalash to run into a fucking room yep, in time. Yep, like yep, yep, don't yep. E- don't even fucking lie like that. I will say though, Mikalash has some fun voice lines where he's yeah. like, Is it is it this or is it this? And just being a complete madman, but uh that fucking AoE attack he does is just too much. I I don't know. Yeah. Also, I mean, Mikalash also has, like, one of the super cool lines when you kill him about how he's going to wake up and forget everything, which is also ironic because he's 100% wicked, extremely dead. Yeah. Um, but I... That, that, fight, that fight sucked. So, Again, Bloodstarved Beast still takes it from me because I was, that was the most frustrated I was this whole time, but... Yeah, the mechanics of the Mikalash fight are maybe not the best, but he's got some pretty cool lore hooks in him where mm-hmm. celestial emissary is really just a speed bump that didn't do anything for me hmm i might change my answer okay i, I i'm kind of starting to get on on nick's side here because i i it's got to be one of the most forgettable bosses mm-hmm. like we didn't mm-hmm. even have it on the list until the very end <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that's I, true i, I looked I looked around at the class and I went, wait, where's Celestial Emissary? And <laughs> Celestial Emissary is is back at the museum, you know? I, I think it might be I think it might be Celestial Emissary. Uh, you know, I think I, I think that's fair. I completely understand that. Um 
I would I would honest I would throw moon presence onto that shortlist only because Ooh. for the very very last boss fight in the whole game it was so cool and extremely easy like it was like I I went into that fight because you go into it right after you kill Garman I went into that fight with like half HP and no blood vials and I beat it first try and took like no hits like it was just not a hard fight at all which made it really disappointing because it was like the secret boss that you had to do a bunch of random bullshit throughout the game in order to get to um so i think for that reason i can also include it on my on my short list of of bosses i didn't like that much um and orphan of cost because it probably caused me actual blood pressure related issues yeah (laughs) but i liked that that fight that is the very last dlc boss yeah Okay. That um, is Orphan of Cause was uh, I to be fair extremely cool fight I enjoyed it a lot uh, but oh my god I was so mad so much that is maybe the hardest boss fight in any Soulsborne game and right after the twin gargoyles in Dark Souls one yeah okay maybe in a different episode <laughs> we'll talk about that <laughs> but also I think Orphan of Cause has the worst um, difficulty to I don't know interest ratio like i am okay with a very difficult boss if it's this giant cthulhu looking monster that shakes the environment the orphan of cost is some dude with a club looking appendage and okay he's kind of gross uh, 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 not a club looking appendage it's a club looking appendix right (laughs) Okay, I don't think yes. it's actually appendix. I think it's a womb. I think it's the womb he was born out of that he is beating you with. Yeah, yeah. But for being the child of a great one, I the only way I can describe his design is I'm disappointed in it. Reasonable. It doesn't look very cool. I'm looking. I'm looking at him, and maybe I think a lot of the the weight of these characters and what makes them cool is carried by like the fact that they are animated really well, and you're scared of them in the moment. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't have a lot of interesting colors on him, and he looks cool with the wing. The wings are awesome, but this this sort of red sack he has of of nastiness. I'm mm-hmm. not into this. I you know I don't mind his design as much as both of you, but I do agree that he was oh. maybe not. <laughs> the fuck was that noise? <laughs> as nasty. <laughs> He was oh, he did have his some, midsection. He yeah, did have midsection. some really fun combat. A lot of his yeah. attacks were very wide-reaching, and you just had. I think Orphan of Kos is the best culmination of all of Bloodborne in terms of the mechanics, where you really have to be bringing your A game. Otherwise, you're going to spend 200 tries fighting him and still not win. Yeah. I think that is 100% fair. Um, now that we've alienated everyone who has not played the game, because <laughs> we just sat here and talked about bosses for hours, um, I think we can count all those people out. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. Um, so uh, one thing, because we were, we were talking about the DLC a little bit, one thing I do want to talk about is the thing that Duncan brought up on to- up top, which is the... And this is, this is not a Bloodborne-specific thing. This is a FromSoft thing, right? But there is... There's this notion of the run to the boss, right? Almost every boss has a checkpoint at some point before them, but that checkpoint is frequently not right before them. And there's, you know, if you die to that boss, you respawn at the checkpoint, you have to run back to the boss. Um, And Duncan, you had some very strong feelings about needing to do that, (laughs) that I think are maybe interesting to dive into, right? Because I do think this is kind of a divisive um, 
notion in these games. Like, it's a, it's a divisive idea. Uh, and I do think there is some some value in there. But I know that you don't think there's some value in that, and I'm interested to maybe dive into that a little bit. All right, first things first, anyone from the Bloodborne or Soulsborne or whatever community can suck it, all right? <laughs> and I, come, I, I invite you so, to challenge me in a great game debate. So, no, all right, let's go. Uh, I believe the last thing you said was, we've alienated everybody who hasn't <laughs> played this game. And then the next thing was, anyone who has played this game can suck it. <laughs> so we're not working with a big audience anymore. <laughs> okay, for real, though. And I think this extends into a bigger conversation about the difficulty of this game. Yeah. And why is that meaningful and why is it not meaningful and, and what do you enjoy or not enjoy from it? But specifically just talking about the run from the lantern to the boss was more frustrating for me than the boss itself because I'm spending time running from one place to another. And I read, you know, I, 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 I wanted to get people's like true inputs on this. So, you know, I went to the only place with opinions that matter, which is Reddit. Mm-hmm. And of course... Mm-hmm. Um, the feedback that that I often got for for this point is, well, it gives you time to think about the boss. It gives you time to manage your items and things like that. But I can do that on my own. I have free will. And then they go around and then they turn around and they say, well, this game's all about choices and where you want to go and how you want to play and everything like that. But that's not true. It's very, very direct how you get from one place to another. You have to go a very particular shortcut way to get to the boss the fastest that you can. And yeah, great. You die along the way once or twice to the boss if you're getting frustrated. But I don't think that adds anything. I don't. I don't feel any more scared of the world because I could die running through a place that I've already been. The The thing that Nick described earlier about being like, okay, you know, as you're going through, you can look downstairs and say like, is it worth it to take this offshoot path or should I just keep running to the, to the lantern or should I head back? All of that stuff is amazing. But just saying like, hmm, you know, how, how can I run to the boss the fastest is not engaging or endearing in any way. And if I've learned anything from, like, tough as nails, like, NES games, we dropped that shit years ago being like, <laughs> like, you have to get back to the boss. And I think it's such a tired fucking concept that I, I hate it. I, I did not one point did I feel like I was reflecting on the bosses I was running back. Um, so in short, that's one of the things where I'm like, just fucking work with me. Because between the load times and, you know, the actual mm-hmm. running, it's two minutes. It's it's one to two minutes average on each boss. Like, and I just yeah. think that's way too long. <sighs> also, you need to go farm blood vials sometimes. And that takes fucking forever. Yeah. So, like, uh, that's a different conversation that I do bosses. want to talk about. Um, yeah. Just let me try it again. You know? I mean, and so the reason I bring this up in terms of um, as, as like a, an offshoot from the DLC is I think the DLC, every single boss you fight, there is a lantern, like basically right outside where you fight them. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's awesome. So it de- <laughs> just <laughs> so took them a cool. game to get it right. <laughs> Let me rewind. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. That's cool. Um, so, I, I, you know, I think that gives a good um, kind of example and counter example of, of, of how I felt about that. But I don't. I mean, I I do 
agree with you that it does feel like a waste of your time. And I think there are some in this game in particular that are egregious, um, where it is like way too long of a run. Um, I think the one that you had mentioned this that you were most frustrated with, and I think the one that is one of the longest runs is the Shadow or Shadows of Yarnum. Um, yeah. Because you have to like take two elevators and run through a whole area, and it's easy to get hit and then have to use a blood vial and, and be upset about it from there. But I do kind of enjoy... There's like a a degree of optimization that comes with the first few times you do it where you're like, okay, well, I can cut through here, I can cut through there, like I can probably, if I wait for this enemy to swing, I can run past them without any threat of getting hit, and then I can backstab this guy and then you know, run right up there. And I do, I do kind of enjoy that, um, just, you know, I don't know that it necessarily adds anything to the game, I just kind of like that optimization aspect to it, but... I don't really, you know, I think the way you phrased it does make me feel like maybe there's not, it's not super defensible. Um, I mean, you're at that point for what you're saying, it's like getting time trialing in Mario Kart. It's, I like, like a little satisfactory in my Bloodborne is what I'm trying to say, you know? <laughs> sure, 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 sure. And I mean, I get it, I guess, but I, I don't know. It, it's a nit, it's a big nitpick. Like at the end of the day, when you know I wait two years, I'm not gonna remember the running back. I'm gonna remember the cool bosses and story. You know, I but. mean, it is a nitpick. But when you are at that point, like these games are designed to push you to a point of frustration where you are like actively, <laughs> actively angry. It's very <laughs> healthy to like playing these games. Um, so I do think any small nitpick like that does does kind of to draw that out a little bit. But I'm trying to think of what I did during these runs to the boss fights. Um, and you're probably talking to yeah, probably talking to your brother. And I think that is maybe one of the big things is it doesn't bother me as much because I, at that entire time I was just talking to Nick. I was like, hey, what's you know, how is your fight going? Or wow, that's fucked up. Or you know, like there would be some degree of strategizing about the boss fight, but it wasn't just me going, ah, I fucked up. This is how I fucked up. It was. You know, us swapping, okay, well, you can, turns out you can dodge this attack if you move this direction at this time, or, you know, maybe try using this item, or, or, or something like that. Maybe maybe I'll play a little bit of devil's advocate here, not saying I believe this, but I think by adding this little speed bump of the run up to the boss not being smooth could potentially increase the joy and relief you feel when you finally do beat that boss that's taken you a dozen or two dozen tries it's like wow now i never have to deal with these stupid pigs in the swamp again and if you're just fighting the boss sure you get the relief of yes i've beaten the shadows of yarnum that feels great but there's that little bit of extra relief knowing you don't have to worry about that roadblock anymore that's not a bad point actually i can i can accept that one I, th- I can accept that. Go ahead, Alex. Sorry. <laughs> I was say, it's not a bad point, but it does really break it down. Like, at the basis level, what that point really was, was, isn't it great when you beat a boss and you don't have to deal with the bullshit before the boss anymore <laughs> that's not fun to deal with? <laughs> Which, yeah. I agree. But that's what a lot of this is, though. Yeah. It's like... It's, 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 it's interesting, right? It's, it is a quintessential part of Soulsborne games that I do not expect them to get rid of anytime soon, right? Like, I think yeah. they have stepped away from it a little bit. Uh, my understanding is in Dark Souls, this was way the fuck worse, or in Demon Souls, this was way the fuck worse than it is now. Um, and I do think by the time Sekiro uh, was released, they there's less of this and you can move a lot quicker. But that game also has, like, a huge uh, element of stealth involved in it, so I think it is more core to the gameplay. Um, 
but yeah, I, I was trying, like, I, I was all ready to defend it, and then when you fucking talked about it, I was like, yeah, if I wasn't playing it on fucking Discord with my brother, this would be fucking miserable. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, and I get it. Also, this is a good time to transition. Transition. If we haven't already lost the big, the big, the big Souls fans, um, should this game have an easy mode? Or an easier difficulty? Like, what do you think about actually easing up on some of this stuff oh god you are just really gonna i mean let's just do it let's get it duncan is just like (laughs) fuck everybody who wants to listen to this podcast (laughs) let's make them all mad this this five minute chunk here send it to your friends so they can make fun of the podcast (laughs) i mean Um, we'll talk about something else it just kind of felt no i i i I agree so i mean i think there's there's kind of two different elements at work here, right? The thing that you're talking about, the like the frustration of moving between bosses, and the thing that we didn't necessarily touch on, which was that your health items in this game are consumable items that you can have a maximum number of, um, and you have to farm for, as opposed to the rest of the Soulsborne games, where it's kind of a refillable item that you get a set number of, and then when you die or rest somewhere, that it refills back to max. Um, I don't think those are those wouldn't be inherently changed by in, like any sort of a, a difficulty slider in the game, right? Um, at least I doubt they would be changed by any sort of a difficulty slider in the game. No, probably not. And I think if the game had difficulty options, uh, and, and I want to be clear up front that I understand there is more development work in creating difficulty options for a game like this like there's always more development work in changing or adding any features into a game i don't want it to delay games things like that i think maybe some people have kind of an outsized idea of how much more difficult it would be to create an easy option for this game they wouldn't have to redesign every single aspect of the game they could tune some sliders they could change a couple of core mechanics they could do things like allowing you to you know how you know health files kill you fully or something like that um I, I don't know, because it's one of those things where I don't want an easy mode for me, personally. Sure. Mm-hmm. But I also think that I am never, I, I'm never in the camp of gatekeeping anything in games from people, and I think there are people for whom this just, the vibe and the tone and the atmosphere of the game, and the, like, mechanically, like, mechanically actually doing things would be something they would enjoy a lot, but they're easily frustrated, they have anger issues, they just don't have a lot of free time, things like that, and then they would end up bouncing off of games like this. So I I do think I fall in the camp of, like, I don't have a problem with them putting an easier mode into the game, a a mode where things move a little bit easier, they're a little bit smoother, right? I think they can do it in a way that wouldn't upset fans as much in terms of just, like, and I think I mentioned this to, to, I think I probably mentioned this to both of you at some point, like, if they put a difficulty option in the game, what I want them to do is have, you know, you start a new game and it says, okay, cool, here is, like, this is the way the game was designed for, call it the Souls experience, whatever, and then have another mode that was like, hey, this is a mode for, you know, if you have, you know, these specific things you want to worry about, you can do this, the game will be easier, it won't be as punishing. This is not what it was designed to be played at, though, so if you're looking for the Souls experience, this is maybe what you want to do. And even that's, like, a little bit gatekeeper, but I think it'd be fine. Um, no, it's, yeah. And and then just have it be so you choose that in a locks it in so you don't have the option to just go oh well I'm really frustrated I'm going to bump it down to easy mode and then bump it back up right I think that would be the key is you don't want to do anything where in a moment of frustration people could give up choose something easier and then lose that rewarding feeling of having pushed through the game um, 
But I think the community is like trash. <laughs> like, I, think, I think every time I read a forum thread, they're like, yeah, but I don't want people to be like able to say they beat the game when they didn't really beat the game. And it's like, maybe fuck off. Your own experiences don't need to be validated by other people's experiences with the same media. But I, I don't think I would have an issue with it. Um, and I definitely do think they should have more accessibility options, just generally speaking, because there's not hardly any of those in any of their games. So I think from a story point of view, it may be the very punishing difficulty makes sense to me because you are a hunter on the night of the blood moon and there are these great ones and their machinations and you are just a tiny little speck in a vast cosmos. So it makes logical sense that everything would be very dangerous to you, be it the base enemies on the way to the boss or the Great One bosses who can kill you in two hits. And I think if you make some way to scale that back, you know, make Amygdala kill you in six hits instead of two hits, you're reducing the threat that that boss provides, but also reducing its impact. Because, you know, if it if this giant tentacle monster hits like a kitten, that's a different experience than if I have to be mashing roll the entire time, otherwise I'm instantly dead. Not to say okay. that it's better that way, but I think that is one possible defense of a lack of difficulty options. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we're about hard stances saying. here, so what are you coming down on? <laughs> I Ooh. need to know whether or not you should be dragged through the dirt as well. Oh, man. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> I, I don't want to do this. <laughs> See, here's what, Alex, here's what we do. We let him do it nicely. We trap him. Oh, <laughs> and then okay. we pull the lever, okay? Oh, okay. <laughs> You're okay. revealing too I early. I don't think I'm supposed saying, to hear that part, Duncan. Well, you know, <laughs> you won't be able to avoid the trap. Duncan's really good at setting these up. <laughs> Just like Fox News. Let's go. <laughs> right. Duncan, how do you feel about it? What, what, are, what, are, what are your thoughts there? I think I, I've had two sorts of pathways. Uh, the first one, I, I think there should be some sort of an easier mode because what's difficult for me is not difficult for someone else and what isn't difficult for me is difficult for someone else right Mm -hmm. like we all have different skill levels of this i Mm. think you two are definitely better at souls games than i am getting killed in six hits from a boss would be much 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 worse for you know someone with a lot less experience than it would be for you you or i so i think when thinking like that what is hard for other people would make more sense of being like okay this i still get that feeling of or they could still get that feeling of being like oh my god this is impossible but it it would be like easy mode for for all of us so i think that's like one of the defenses i feel towards towards what you're saying of like it wouldn't feel as punishing it would still feel punishing it'd just be a different scale of punishment um for people and I, I thought about the possibility, which has never really worked very well, but I kind of wonder if the soul's twist could make it work of like the, do you guys, do you guys remember when in Mario games, they made an option where if you died on a level too many times, they gave you like a cool Tanuki suit. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. You were mm-hmm. never mad about seeing that pop up. Yeah. 
But isn't that kind of awesome though? Like, like especially if it was like a Souls twist where it was like, like a man, you are really bad and your soul is just nasty because you died so many times. Do you want like a little help? And I could see so many people getting so angry over that fact of being like, no, I don't need help. And I think that could increase, you know, a little bit of the rage, a little bit of the satisfaction. And for those who do need help, they can take it. And I think that already comes through with the Hunter Bells, like where it's like, do Mm -hmm. you need another player? Which I took every time because I need it. Um, Because that Erebus was really hard uh, for me. But um i think that could i think that could work in a way um but i'm not sure if it would so my general feeling is yeah yeah we we, there needs to be some sort of option and i like alex's take of being like okay this is the intended experience but if you're a fucking baby here's the other one (laughs) I don't even mind if they worded an aggressive tone, like like the old like Duke Nukem games or whatever, or it's like little baby baby chewing baby food kind of thing, you know. <laughs> That's what the title was. Yep. <laughs> so uh, the other thing I want to I want to hammer in about this is I don't think an, an existence of an easier game mode has to be, um, like like what you said, Nick. It doesn't have to be that suddenly. Amygdala kills you in six hits instead of two, right? It could be Amygdala still kills you in two hits. You just get more iframes after you get hit. Yeah. So sure. The game is There's a thousand different ways to adjust difficulty. Yeah. So I think there is a way to do it such that it preserves the impact of these fights. It preserves the uh, idea of the difference in in skill between uh, or, or strength between you and these like giant horrific monstrosities. Um, but still makes it so that the games are slightly more accessible to people who, uh, and again, I'm not even necessarily talking about people who are, you know, less well-versed in this type of game, right? It can just be people that are like, oh, hey, like, I really like these games, but I'm a, you know, I've started this new job and I'm working 60-hour weeks and I don't have time for this, or I, you Mm -hmm. know, I'm raising a family and I have an hour to play games a week and, you know, I don't want to be as frustrated, but I really like this type of game, right? I think... Even something like that, it's it's a good um, metric for who you are excluding from your game by making it this frustrating and this difficult, especially if you have to do shit like fucking grinding to get the healing item again, which I went back and forth on the whole game, but I think where I land on is fucking stupid and I shouldn't have had it in the game. <laughs> Nick, where do you land on that? So I mostly agree, but I think the counterpoint that makes sense to me is... If you are playing a Dark Souls where you have a set number of Estus flasks and those only recharge when you rest at a bonfire, when you are exploring, in the back of your mind there's always the consideration, well, do I heal now or do I just wait and save as much of my healing consumables for the boss? Being able to find those in the world changes that calculus because now you can go down that stairway because there is... Maybe not always true, but there's an expectation that an enemy might drop some additional blood vials, so the hits that I take while exploring, I can recoup that damage with the loot that I find and then still get to the boss with most of my blood vials intact. Yeah, I agree. I think that that is definitely uh, a positive of the system, and I think when we were playing, that was one of the things that I had mentioned liking about it, was Mm -hmm. feeling like I can explore for a lot longer. I think the flip side of that is if you're in, you know... 
you do lose something if you don't have that, right? Like you were talking about, if you have a set number of Estus flasks, it does make using one feel impactful. Whereas in this, if I was exploring and I was in an area with a lot of enemies and I got hit, I was just like, I don't fucking heal it away. It doesn't matter. I'm going to get more. Like, it's fine. I'll always find more every time I fight an enemy. So it doesn't matter if I use them all right now. Um, and so I think it does take a little of the impact away. But I did like, you know, I, I think this world was very interesting to explore so i did like being able to do that with less of a you know a boot on my neck essentially yeah and i think that all breaks down when you're talking about just fighting bosses because there's maybe no more frustrating experience in bloodborne than you're banging against a boss you fought a 15 times you're really getting into the flow of it and then you respawn and you have six blood vials instead of 20 and now you have to spend <laughs> 10 minutes grinding them that's that's indefensible, I would say. Yeah, it fucking sucks. And they're like, oh, there's a rune so you can hold more blood vials. It's like, <laughs> cool, so I will just go through my stock of them quicker. Like, the only reason we, I think, genuine, I, I mean this 100% truly, I think the only reason we beat Orphan of Cost is because there was a spot in the DLC where you can, over the course of 10 minutes, farm like 150 blood vials. Yeah. Like, wow. if, if that wasn't there, I think we maybe we would still be trying to beat it to this day because <laughs> fuck that shit so much. Uh, there's no good farming spot in the normal game. Uh, Duncan, did you did you did you love did you love the blood? <laughs> I like that there was 20. of them. That was <laughs> yeah. cool. Yeah. Nice. I remember being like three is not enough for me <laughs> as a bad player in uh, Dark Souls three at the get go. But uh, but no, I. I, I yeah, I had a problem with it too. Kind of just the same thing. But yeah. what I will say about it is I like the theming around it. That you are injecting yourself with blood or drinking blood yeah. or whatever. Yeah, just 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 tons of blood back in, yeah. And I like that I like the idea that, you know, as you lose health and then hit enemies, you know, like like we talked about earlier, you're getting it back because I like the the image of you know, you losing blood, hitting the enemy and just trying to drink it as it just comes out of other enemies. You're like <laughs> Catching it like a fish, just whoop, whoop, whoop. Ah, there we go. I'm feeling better now. Uh, so the, the real hard like mode of, of Bloodborne is that it just turns them into actual blood transfusions. So every time you want to heal, you have to find a safe corner, inject yourself with an IV, sit around for five minutes, and then <laughs> eat a bag of cookies afterwards. That's um, right. I so and kind of expanding on that idea of them changing the exploration um, and making it so you can explore a little bit more. How did how did um. Like, I, I know we were all ended up at least pretty hot on the uh, environment, but how do we feel about, and I want to frame it this particular way, the the first half of the game kind of in this, like, Victorian beastly area, and then the second half in this, like, still the same area, but everything kind of messed up in this horrible uh, HP Lovecraftian way. And then how do we feel specifically, on, on top of just which do we prefer, about the storytelling that happened via the environment in those particular areas like is there one that worked for you more than the other is there like one where you felt like hey this is cool but i'm not getting any like i'm not understanding anything out of this um anything like that no (laughs) (laughs) sorry cool Uh, well let's move on all right next question so i the transition from the victorian werewolves and guys with axes and torches and guns to this lovecraftian cosmic horror for me it was a really good transition to 
so, sort of like a descent into madness, which is a common theme in Lovecraftian mm -hmm. fiction, where you're fighting all these villagers on the night of the hunt, and then now there are werewolves and people turning into beasts. That's kind of the first ramp up of the tension and the danger and the madness of the world. And then you fight Vicar Amelia, who is one step beyond just a werewolf. She's this giant beast who is horrific. And then as soon as you beat her, you can go into this poison forest swamp place that has these nasty balls of snakes, which is yet another step down into the darkness that all mm -hmm. culminates with the amygdalas and abritises towards the end of the game after you've completed this journey to you know brushing shoulders with the great ones and i think if you start the game and you can see all this cosmic horror it doesn't have the same effect by the time that you reach the end yeah i think that's yeah. fair uh, i i actually i had a question specifically for for your experience of it because you you know, played it earlier when it came out. Did you know about that twist that was going to happen where it was going to shift into that cosmic horror? I did not, and I really enjoyed that shift when I first noticed it. That's cool. That's very cool. I, I think I would have enjoyed that a lot more if I hadn't kind of absorbed that all from the, you know, just hearing people talk about it over the course of the five years that it was out before I played it. Yeah, I like your I like your idea or your thought on that of of it being a descendant of madness because I think that really directly correlates with the people of Yarnum and like you know they're they're being like this this blood stuff is just it's just the best right. <laughs> so then, I love this good blood <laughs> and and how they transitioned to where they they got to be. So no, I think that's a that's a good analysis of it. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. I think I definitely enjoyed that that cosmic horror element of the environment quite a bit, uh, and and the way that everything changed. I will say, I really like that was the point when I started to no longer be able to pull much information out of the environment <laughs> because it was like, ah, this is cool. Anyway, it's all just tombstones. That's all it is now. It's just <laughs> tombstones and chairs with people with cages on their head. Um, yeah. And I think I started, like, that was kind of, uh, for how cool it was, I think a lot of those environments felt maybe repetitive. Um, and I think some of that's just because yeah. they were using the same tile set that they used in the earlier half of the game, so that you, you know, you've seen it all before at that point. So I did like the environmental storytelling more in the first half of the game, but I really did like, again, exactly as you described, that sort of descent into madness that encapsulated the entire experience um, was really cool. Um, though also that that was to some degree tied to the amount of insight you had uh, and that added a level of stress to it <laughs> especially when you would then run into those fucking brain sucking enemies that can steal your insight and I recognized that I had enough madman's knowledge to get me to a hundred insight three times over by the end of the game but like every single time I lost two insight to those fucking brain sucking enemies. I was like, that's it. I'm never going to see the cool shit anymore. It's fucked. I'll never get enough insight to get back to that. Um, I ended the game with 99 insight. Yep. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I think there were, I never used a great one's knowledge throughout the entirety of the game. Um, I didn't use like half my madman's knowledge. And then there's, it's fine. 
But man, it feels worse than anything else in the game when you see that number <laughs> go down because an enemy caught you with a fucking hold and you just mash a button even though you know it doesn't do anything. <laughs> it's the it's the old, if I mash B, I'll catch the Pokemon. I swear. <laughs> uh, I'm still strategy. not convinced that doesn't work. You cannot convince me it doesn't change the RNG. I watched part of a Pokemon speedrun last night. If you want to tell me the button presses don't change the way shit happens in that game, you're fucking wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I like both of the settings actually quite a lot. I I just love I I love all parts of this world and mm-hmm. like the the big gothic towers and the statues and the detail that they put into the art and the environment and like even if it was kind of repetitive, it's still just so much fun to look at cuz like I could I could spend a lot of time looking at those amazing statues and things like that of like you know the gothic humanoid figures like reaching out with with robes on their faces and stuff like that i mm-hmm. just i don't know i love all that stuff and the most exciting part of this game and my by far my favorite part of it was seeing anything for the first time yeah it's such a cool yeah. thrilling part of it the first time you see a boss i would like you know i played it and you know my partner's always around and i'm like <gasps> I'm about to get to a new boss. Do you want to see the new boss? And then she'd come out, see the new boss, and go, it's so cool, and then leave. <laughs> like, that's that's kind of how I wish I could have experienced the game. I was like, wow! And then left <laughs> for someone else to beat it. Uh, but I don't know. The Both settings worked really well for me. And I got to say, like, the nightmare areas, though, like the... The optional nightmare area that you get from going into the first scholar first floor mm-hmm. was not necessarily my thing. It was a little too like monochromatic with the grays and yeah. the browns, yeah. but the the rest is is amazing. Um, also, side enemies. I love. I don't know. I think I have some sort of sickness. I need to talk to a therapist <laughs> about this. I love killing the Yarnamites. Oh <laughs> what is God. that? Yeah, what wow. is that, guys? <laughs> It's just there's something satisfying about because they're. I think it's because they're easy. I just like easy murder. <laughs> I just like easy murder. I don't know what it is, but there's something so much fun about baiting them all into like a, a cat cat hallway or whatever. What is that called? A catwalk and and just like charging up <laughs> my love, weapon and I'm just so fucking, fucking owning them. <laughs> Uh, Duncan, let me just tell you right now, um, you are alone in that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that you need to Am get I? that checked out. I, I mean, I, I, I did enjoy going back and fighting through the the first areas of the game when I was a higher level because of what you said. Because it's kind of like a oh, okay, I did actually get stronger. It was just a good like, you know reaffirmation of the fact that I was getting better at the game. I was able to do more than I was previously, but I don't know that I derived the, the sort of sick pleasure that you're talking about. The okay, semi-erotic like... nature of killing a bunch of villagers. I don't it's know. It's not like I killed the villager and needed a cigarette, okay? It was just more like, it's like, yeah, you know? Okay. Anyway, let's talk about anything else. <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> Okay, well, I've got one for you guys. This is (laughs) something that is throughout the entire Soulsborne catalog, but there is a lot of content in Bloodborne that is completely optional. Mm -hmm. So the very first boss you fight is usually the Cleric Beast, but the Cleric Beast is completely optional. You never have to interact with it. 
And I, I think about half of the bosses in the game total are optional. And there are about half of the areas that are optional as well. So, Duncan, I know Alex's thoughts on that a bit, but how do you feel about the preponderance of optional content that you could beat the game never having seen? And real quick, just for, for reference sake, I want Duncan to answer this before me, but I do just want to give the list to which we have here of optional bosses and areas, just so people understand what we're talking about. The number of optional bosses are Cleric Beast, Blood Starved Beast, Dark Beast Parl, Martyr Lagarius, Celestial Emissary, Amygdala, Abritus, Moon Presence. That's eight bosses? <laughs> seven bosses if you don't want to count Celestial Emissary <laughs> that are optional and then Castle Kanehurst, the Upper Cathedral World Ward and then Abandoned Hunter's Workshop which is kind of just you go in there, Hyperion Gaul which uh, Duncan added, I don't know what that is the Nightmare Frontier and the Osefka's Clinic are all optional areas that you can go through and like, that's that's a lot of fucking content yeah. just so people know that we're not talking about like isn't it cool that there's this hidden boss Um, it's a lot it's a lot so go on for that. I just wanted a baseline so we could talk. So just to just to clarify, Nick, are you asking me how I feel about the fact that there is optional content or how do I feel about said optional content? More the former, but I'm interested in your thoughts on the actual quality of the okay. optional content in Bloodborne as well. Cool. The second one, it's pretty short. It just matches. Like, like the content of the optional stuff is just as good as the main stuff. So that was just the shorter answer, I feel like, at least, which is really good. But how do I feel about there being side content is I'm like, yeah, that's good. <laughs> uh, because <laughs> if I can have any option to get through the game faster, which is interesting because I fought all of those bosses. Um, I, I did all of the content because I felt like I would have gotten something out of it. And sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't. But it makes the world feel bigger. It makes the world feel more linear, or less linear, excuse me. And I think that some of the optional areas are so ass backwards of how to get to, <laughs> of finding an invitation and knowing you have to walk up to a particular rock and a location that you've probably forgotten about. I mean, it does say to go to that location, but like, it it's so bizarre, some of those things. And I like that in a way. But I'm just not, I don't have the time or the brain power to process some of the things that I needed a guide for. And I feel like I would miss out on a ton of side content if I didn't look at those things. And I think that's a good thing, right? Because, like, when you talk about community with this game, I think it's really cool and important and something that I can see why it works between you two to sort of, like, play this game side by side of being like, I found this thing. You have to go down this hallway to the left and then, you know, take this item here and you'll find a new area. That is such a cool thing to be excited about and, and like share with people. And I love that part of it. Um, but I was, I was all by myself. Uh, so it didn't really, didn't really hit for me and I had to use a guide for all of it. So, I mean, I've probably rambled quite a lot longer than I should have about this, but I think it's good overall. Like I'm happy that there's, a optional content and b that it is high quality and sometimes harder to find and feels exciting when you get to those places yeah i i think that's that's fair uh, to clarify we were also using a guide it's not like we just found <laughs> like we weren't gonna find our way to fucking canehurst castle without a fucking guide that wasn't <laughs> gonna happen 
I'm um, sure there were some things that you found. Like, I didn't even start the NPC quest until I read about it. Like the to get everyone into the 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 so the, uh, uh, church. That is, that is what I will say is the other thing. And this is again, this is 100% every Soulsborne game is the NPCs are, you know. Their quests are convoluted. Uh, you will not see everybody's quest on a first playthrough of the game unless you are using an, uh, a guide. Um, but, you know, and again, in, in traditional fashion, you have to talk to people at specific times and not do specific things. I think this was more egregious with NPC quest lines because there were, it felt like more clearly defined windows where, like, after this point, it's just completely fucked. And also because in order to beat, um, the secret final boss to get the real ending of the game, you have to engage with at least one of these NPC quest lines and also find secret areas in the game. Mm-hmm. So it felt a little bit more... Um, y- you were actively getting locked out of content as opposed to just missing content. So I, I think some of that was really frustrating to me. Also, you just, you know... Every time you meet an NPC, they're like, hey, where should I go? Which of the two safe places should I go? And one of them will just get them fucking murked every single time. And one of them is like, hey, you sent this person to the wrong place? Sorry, he's going to fucking kill everybody. That one's less hard because he's eating a family when you find him. So you can kind of figure you shouldn't send him to where you send everybody else. But Oh, 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 Do you, should you send... Okay, you've learned that the... That the- um, church is a good place and the clinic's a bad place. Where do you send the skeptic man? Oh, of course you send him to the bad place so he goes to the good place. <laughs> that makes f- so much sense. Also, don't take too much blood from the 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 uh, one of the characters because <laughs> yep. the other one will get jealous that you took too much of their blood. <laughs> and I actually love kill all that the other stuff. character. Um, I-, I love all that stuff because it's really unique and just kind of like what happened here and it doesn't matter that much i mean you're really just getting locked out of a secret ending and that you know like it's not a big deal yeah i i think i was more concerned about it because we were you were you also get locked out of the boss fight with the moon presence and before having done it i was like well i don't want to miss out on one of the coolest fights in the game if it's like a secret boss fight that sounds dope as hell uh and it turned out it wasn't but it was still like (laughs) I felt I was anxious that I was going to fuck something up by, like, walking into a room I wasn't supposed to walk into at that specific time of the moon cycle, and then somebody would end up attacking me, and I would have to kill them before they were impregnated with an alien baby. Like, I didn't I didn't want that to happen, um, but all the secret areas were fucking cool, so <laughs> I liked all those a lot. <laughs> and I, I think by hiding so much content they really do incentivize exploration in a way that is not as interesting if oh there's a plus one sword behind every other corner or something like that there is a real meaningful reason to dig deep and explore everything because you can get such cool unique contents you know half of the bosses or entire castles that you would never experience otherwise it's i'm trying to remember if it was this impactful in other souls games but i do think it is it is very cool i i'm always a sucker for games locking that degree of extra stuff behind secrets because i just think it's really cool but also it's fun to like you know, you can replay it and have a different experience, right? I don't know that we've ever... I've never had the experience of, like, playing through one of these games 
and like playing a portion of it and then talking to somebody else who is also playing a portion of it after the game has recently come out and like comparing and contrasting <laughs> different things like i think that like that sort of community element of the game sounds really really fascinating to me and i would love to do that but then on the flip side of that it's like okay well nick will be the one that i play this game with and i will <laughs> not get through it if i can't go isn't that guy fucking bullshit what an absolute piece of shit i want him to get hit by a truck and having you go yes yes i do as well um, <laughs> yeah so there are chalice dungeons in Bloodborne, which are entirely optional dungeons to tie into the optional content that we were talking about earlier that you never have to experience, and there are procedurally generated ones, and there are bespoke dungeons as well. But at no point does the game really invite you to interact with them, and I think that's actually to its detriment, because by the time that Alex, you and I really even considered doing the Chalice Dungeons, we had severely out-leveled them, and it was there was no challenge there. Mm -hmm. And I would have appreciated if they had some kind of hook, some sort of story hook to get you into the first dungeon, where, say, you have to go in and retrieve some key to advance the main story, as a foothold into the Chalice dungeons to show you, hey, this is what it is, this is why it's here. There is some cool lore stuff in there, but it is, I would say, a step further removed from the other optional content. And th this is one of the aspects of Bloodborne that I think didn't work for me. What do you guys think about the Chalice Dungeons? Uh, a Chalice who now? I, I don't... <laughs> exactly. Uh, is that, was that a, oh, got it. Uh, hold on, let me just Google it. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't do this. I didn't, Alex told me that I don't need to worry about them. And so I said, okay. And I didn't touch any of them. <laughs> so from what I understand though, because they were featured in a couple of the videos and of, of the things I watched, they seem cool if, like, you want to keep playing Bloodborne. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, this is what I would... When I think about optional content, I don't think about what Bloodborne gave as optional content in my eyes of, like, the side areas and the side bosses. This is what I would normally think of as side content. It's like, hey, do you just want to just play more of the game? Okay, go do a dungeon, and there's a lot of monsters, and you got to kill them all. Um and so I didn't think that they were for me, but I bet there are people out there who like like to keep playing this game and to probably enjoy the the repetitious nature of like the chalice dungeons. I'm guessing they feel like that, but again, I haven't played them. I just wish they weren't so repetitive though, right? I think that's why I bounced off of them even like cuz we started playing them and like like you said, we were over leveled, but I I played some of the chalice dungeons in my uh, initially when I played the first half of it. I did maybe you know, five, four or five runs in Chalice Dungeons. And mm -hmm. I, I did enjoy them because I thought the bosses at the end of them, because there's a couple of unique bosses in the Chalice Dungeons that don't appear anywhere else in the game. Um, and I thought Is the... Is Murgo one of those? Um, like the mom, the mother? Queen uh, Yarnum is the final one. Queen Yarnum. Yes. Yeah, that's um, cool. And that is neat. And there's like a giant fire-breathing dog thing that was really cool. And like, I, I liked those boss fights, but I think the dungeons themselves were boring yeah um but it was just like it 
and I play like I play a lot of roguelike games. I enjoy roguelike games quite a bit, and that's essentially what this was with them being like, "Ah, what if we threw a little roguelike element in there?" Um, but I just don't think it was done expertly well, right? I think it was the first draft at it and whatever. Like, maybe it would have been cooler in 2015 when the idea was a little bit more novel. But I. I just didn't enjoy going through them. I didn't enjoy the tile sets. Like, there is cool lore stuff in there, but the cool lore stuff is largely inside of the items and the bosses. It's not walking through the Chalice Dungeon. Um, so I think overall, yeah, like, I, I just didn't have much of a... I didn't have much of a reason to engage with them. And because it was not something that, again, like like you had suggested, they they, like, pushed anywhere in the story the idea of going to do these chalice dungeons. I missed kind of the opportunity to start them. And then also it really made a lot of the boss rewards feel bad. <laughs> yeah. you're like, oh, sick. What's this cool item? Oh, I could use it to do a chalice dungeon. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it's cool that it's here. It's a cool looking item. And then you'd move on with your life. So I, I think overall, sure. Maybe if I was playing it again, I would try to keep up with them when I'm the appropriate level because they also don't scale with level, even though they're randomly generated. Um, but not, so not my favorite content. By Speaking of stuff that I missed out on my ass, my cheap ass didn't want to buy a month of PlayStation plus. <laughs> so I'm playing an offline mode. I'm not seeing the cool messages that people are leaving. I'm not uh, able to ring a bell and have an online player help me. Is that a feature? I think it that was. Is, yes, yes. That's a feature. Um, I was not able to do that. Um, what did I miss out on anything? How, how is my experience different from, how would my experience be different from yours by not playing on online mode? I'm just kind of like, I don't know. So you didn't I, get any messages it. either then, right? No, no messages. Okay. Um, that kind of sucks. Yeah, <laughs> it does. I, I think the messages were Why? a lot of fun. I, I like the messages a lot. I think they're fun. I think, um, people can get creative and it can be very funny. Um, because you have like a limited number of things you can type in in those messages, right? It's like basically here's portions of words that you can stick together and then make a sentiment and may the good blood guide your way and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's you know, like it's, it's Soulsborne games. There's a lot of like, hey, this corpse is turned over, so try tongue but whole. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that was that. Wait, wait, wait. Is this free text? It's not free text, no. but. The, there is one that says, like, try tongue, and then there is a different one that says butthole, but it's like B-U-T <laughs> hole, as in, like, try rolling butthole, so that you would know that there's a hole if you tried rolling, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Or Can, try... Now, so- is, it, is it possible that... No, it couldn't be. Could we get Trump to communicate only on <laughs> <Bloodborne>? <laughs> <laughs> Now, quick, is this where you go next? Quick, Bloodborne ban Trump. <laughs> <laughs> sorry that's <laughs> really funny um but i do i i mean a lot of the messages are they're just generally like really helpful like ambush ahead or it, keep left mm-hmm. doesn't um, that kind of kill like the like like desolate loneliness atmosphere when you're like you're like oh my i'm going through this horrifying yarnum town and then there's a little message on the ground and it's like lol butthole <laughs> Doesn't that kind of kill it for you, or is that fine? I don't know. It, it, it's okay if it is. If it is, I'm just curious. It never did for me. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, I never had the inverse experience, so maybe I would feel differently if I did try playing in an offline mode. But I think it creates a sense of, like, you know, I think it works in the lore, right, because it's a sense of community of the hunters. And, you know, the hunters were at least at one point, like, a large group. Um, so it, it makes some degree of sense that messages could be shared between them. And also, just, like, the game's a fucking asshole, so any chance you get to, like get a leg up on the game by knowing some dumb trick it's about to pull is really yeah. helpful. Um, you know, things mm-hmm. like walking into a boss and saying, you know, the, the or getting a message that implies that the boss is weak against a bolt and then finding out that if you use the bolt paper on your weapon, the boss would be stunned one hit sooner than it would have been otherwise, which makes the fight easy instead of impossibly difficult is like really, really helpful. So I, I, I think you missed out on that personally. I think another aspect of the multiplayer is the phantoms. So in your game, when you're playing online, it'll not only be populated with messages, but it'll also be populated with phantoms of other players who had died in that area. And so a message, Ah, you walk up and activate it and you get the prompt. With the phantoms, you walk up and activate it and there is a red outline of another player moving around and you don't see what they're fighting, but you see where they move, you see their attacks, and then you eventually see them die. And mm-hmm. I think that adds a nice element of tension when you're exploring and all of a sudden there are a dozen phantom bloodstains on the ground in this area. You know <laughs> shit's going down. Yeah. And then once you beat the thing, you get to click on it and watch a dude roll like a thousand times yeah. and, just, and just fucking eat it. Yeah. I, that sounds satisfying. Also, it was helpful to be like, can I make this jump down here? And then to click on a phantom and watch them roll and die and be like, no, I can't. Cool. All right. I'll move on. Uh, that's cool. Um, but that I do cool. think that is interesting. The the point you brought up about the like feeling of isolation. Um, I don't know. I, I, I would be curious to maybe try playing one of these games without that at some point, but I just think it's, it's so much fun that I don't want to remove that experience. Sure. I can see it as being very fun. I mean, I played a little bit of Souls 3 to know, like, some of those things, but, I mean, I don't remember a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, lightning round, lightning round, real quick. Favorite weapon. Let's talk about weapons real quick. Let's talk about the two categories. <laughs> Favorite weapon, weapon you use the most. Mm. I think, if those are different. Because for me, I picked up that threaded cane early on, and I said, I'm going to beat these motherfuckers with a cane <laughs> wearing a top hat and a coat. Because I'm a sophisticated gentleman, and I never used another weapon the entire game. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so that was really cool. But I do think, I mean, I do kind of, I do just kind of like the the sword that becomes the giant fucking hammer. The Kirk hammer, right? It's very cool. It is a very cool weapon. All of the like switching weapons, um, which is every weapon in this game, are really, really, really cool. I think the weapon design is incredible in this game. Um, Garman's weapon, the 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 scythe, is like the coolest looking weapon ever, yeah. in my opinion. I just fucking love scythes, and it's a damn shame I couldn't use it. Um, I also think the saw cleaver is beautiful because I'm an edgelord. <laughs> so, like, it's just a really cool weapon to me. I love it. I, I love the weapon design in this game. And I wish I was, I wish there was a more of a like push to use different weapons. But I'll be honest, the lightning, like, the lightning, um, mace I don't remember thing. what it's called. The lightning mace I used primarily along with the axe um, i switch between those two often depending on if the enemy was uh weak to bolt 
um, because it, it was literally infinitely bolt and I didn't need to use paper and, and fucking, you know, do all that stuff. So That's pretty good. I used that, that mostly, but I also really like the axe because the wind up move for the axe is super satisfying. It's so um, good. And my first playthrough, I only ever used the axe and it's one of the starting weapons, but it just feels so good. Yeah. Yeah. Rifle like spear, pretty awesome because it's a spear, but it's also a gun. And that's it. You can <laughs> you can stab you motherfuckers. You can shoot them. It's fantastic. I mean, that's very good. Um, also, shout outs to the giant wheel that I never used, <laughs> but I do think it's funny that it's just like I don't know, it's just a spiked wheel you can beat people with. It's cool. If also, you want a it. cannon <laughs> and an yeah. literal cannon. <laughs> Yeah, I got the the amount of strength to use the cannon and just to see what it was like. It's pretty cool. It seems like it would be fun, but, you know, it is not a cane and a small pistol, so I was <laughs> not interested in including it into my arsenal ever. I think um, yeah. honorable mention for the wooden shield that the flavor text on it basically calls you a coward if you use it, and it breaks <laughs> in one hit. Yeah. <laughs> That's that awesome. It was very good. I didn't uh, know that, that it breaks in one hit. That's awesome. There's a there's a lot of cool like magic items essentially um, that are just like eldritch spells. Uh, I did not get a chance to use any of those because I did not go for a build that was like going to be useful 25 hours into the game and trash before then. But <laughs> they seem like they would be very cool if you actually went into that. So that also seemed incredibly cool. Great. I think that's it. Well, I have I do have one one additional segment that won't take very long. I tried to find more. Um, welcome back to our, our every once in a while segment. That's a crit to me or critic to me uh, where I go through Metacritic reviews and try and find funny reviews or, or, or fun things. I wish I could have found more. They were actually like a lot of them were actually pretty decent feedback with with some people who I'm just like, yeah, this game's not really for you. But I did find one. Uh, Cyber's Slug uh, said, I don't like this game a lot because it has repetitive fights and level design. I felt bored, which is the worst a game can do. The frame rate was also bad. <laughs> I just like the breakdown of that sentence <laughs> quite a lot. Uh, I appreciate just, that. I would. I, I felt I would, bored, which is the worst a game can do. <laughs> I would take issue with being bored is the worst thing a game can do. You know, uh, I think there's also. Uh, I think a lot of commenters uh, who have left reviews on the life is strange two page on steam would also say that there's maybe worse things games can do like try to be vaguely inclusionary or have politics <laughs> the game had politics i don't like bloodborne's politics either you know hey, i don't think I, we should be drinking the old blood i love bloodborne's politics blood hey hey if we want to do another 45 minutes on the politics of bloodborne and the way those in power <laughs> can completely manipulate the masses in order to achieve their own single-minded goals of evolution that doesn't necessarily benefit anyone than themselves i'm down we can do that um but I think we're probably at, at a good enough length for this episode. Why were we Maybe. talking about easy mode when we could have been talking about that? What are we doing? <laughs> Fuck. Oh, my man. bad. Because that wouldn't make people as angry. <laughs> That's the goal when you talk yeah. about these games. This Listening to this podcast is the souls born of Damn it. podcast. Damn oh. it. You beat me yep. to it. Oh, that's a good one. Fuck. If you're a Bloodborne fan and you can get through this podcast, you've. You've you've defeated the beast. Nightmare slain. There it is. <laughs> um, right. And if you could get through this, I really commend you because it's our plugs. It's time. First off, to do that. 
thank you, Nick, for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. It was a blast. Yes, I, I, I enjoyed having you and having your, your insight. And, <laughs> insight. It's <laughs> a mechanic Fuck of the game. <laughs> Damn it. All right, I'll and, never uh, be back after that. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I Ruined the Not podcast me, an least. hour and 45 minutes in. Damn, I thought we were doing good, but you knew. Because what's happening in the future, Alex? Um, so we are going to try to continue to do a little bit more on the Soulsborne franchise this month. Um, maybe Bleeds in the next month. I don't know. We'll sort of see how things go. Um, so Nick and I will be back to talk about Dark Souls 1 and 2 at some point. And Nick and I, and potentially Josh, we're still seeing about that, will be back to talk about Sekiro. Um, because we kind of talked about a lot of that stuff in this episode, we will probably keep those as little little shorter episodes, um, just kind of talking about the differences and what we liked and didn't like about it. But I, I do think I am excited to 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 delve into those a little bit more in the future as well. Um, so keep an eye out for those. Again, a little bit shorter episodes, but should still be interesting. Should still be fun. And when are yes. we doing the top 1,000 ranking of all enemies in every Soulsborne game ever? Uh, that'll be in the middle of one of those episodes. I don't think it should take more than 10 or 15 minutes. So should be Sounds pretty good. Yeah. That would be so much fun. I would love to do that. If you, Even though I haven't played them, I would love that. <laughs> Just based on one image of each enemy, I think that would be great. Can we do that? <laughs> I mean, uh, look, we'll talk about it off. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. I cannot right. commit to anything on there. Okay, all right, all right. So um, if you enjoyed this and would like to listen to other episodes, do it. We're on other podcast <laughs> platforms like Spotify. <laughs> iTunes and, and Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, that's what everyone says. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a email you can send feedback and suggestions to. But if you have feedback, why don't you leave it as a five star rating, and then put your negative comments down <laughs> if, below there. If, if you have five star feedback, leave it as a five star rating. Right. So our email is thoughtsfromplayer1@gmail.com, at gmail dot com, all spelt out, no numbers. Um, our Twitter, which is where we post our episodes and and Alex's hot, hot takes. Um, it's Twitter slash thoughts from P1. Um, that's with the number one. And anything Check out else? our Twitch stream. Oh, We've been right, streaming right, right. a lot. Thoughts from player one on Twitch. We've been streaming Danganronpa and also uh, been playing through Darkest Dungeons kind of on an off week here. We're switching between the two a little bit, but both of those are incredibly fun. You can check out all of our previous Danganronpa episodes on our YouTube channel as well which I think is also just thoughts from player one on YouTube. So you can catch up that way. Um, the darkest dungeon episodes, they're not going up there, but Hey, all you need to know is we're playing darkest dungeon primarily with people from AGD TV shows. So, yep. Uh, the property brothers are literally killing demons and going on. And Jeff Probst has gone on a drinking binge and like, we're trying to get sued for defamation. That's kind of what <laughs> we're, we're doing. Here. Alex, you're so concerned about this. No, one, no one's ever been sued for defamation. Okay. <laughs> Well, thank you all so much for joining us. And again, thank you, Nick. Thank you. But thank you. I must turn it to the unstumpable Michael. Michael here with your plant fact of the day. The common adage you've probably heard before is the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. It's a useful phrase to describe how children and their parents can be similar, but in the plant kingdom, many plant species try to get their seeds as far away from the parent plant as possible. Some plants produce delicious fruits and berries that entice animals to eat them, carrying seeds through their digestive systems and eventually deposit the seeds very far away from the otherwise immobile parent plant. 
Plants that rely on animals for seed dispersal produce thick seed coats that can pr help protect it from chewing and stomach acids. In fact, this strategy is so effective that many of these plant seeds actually require digestion by an animal in a process known as scarification before they can even sprout. Otherwise, they can't break through the tough outer shell. That's your plant fact for the day. Thanks for listening. Tune into the next episode of Thoughts from Player One for more video game discussions and plant facts.